0: Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, $1 at a time, with your host, Janine Intero. Cheryl. Hi Janine. How are you? Good. How are you doing?
1: Good. I think what I've seen in the news this week or I guess over the past few months is what we're going to be talking about today and that's around the cost of actually living in the northern part of Canada and one of the interesting articles that I found is from a couple years ago but uh, none of it is actually growing faster in the past couple years than many of the other provinces and territories across Canada.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah it seems like there's um not just like an interest in living there, like obviously people have been living there for a long time. Um, but it does seem like they've got a little bit more industry picking up there. Um, I know across the north since t- 2008, some of the industry has left in terms of like oil and gas and mining, but it seems like there might be some new entrepreneurs getting up there, um, and some different, um, yeah, industry and business and revenue generation coming from Canada's north, which is kind of interesting.
1: Well, and I think also a statistic I found really interesting was that um, the fertility rate in Nunavut is actually 2.9 as opposed to the national average of 1.6. Whoa, that's cool. So there's lots of babies being born up there as well. That's so cool. Have you ever been to Nunavut or any of the territories up there no but
0: i would love to i've always wanted to go so this is the other side of canada but i guess like always living on the other side of canada um i've always kind of wanted to go up to the yukon and see how it is especially in like the summer yeah it's just yeah supposed to be beautiful and anyone who's kind of gone on a trip up that way for hiking or even gone like on an arctic cruise um has just said it's absolutely stunning
1: yeah, my in-laws went a couple of years ago. I haven't made it up north yet, but they said it was so beautiful and they loved it.
0: Yeah. It is uh, more expensive to live there, though, which is doesn't really seem great. So, yeah, so I was wanting to talk about that today. Like, we talk about the pink tax a lot and how ladies are uh, charged more for basic everyday things that we need to survive. Um, but then we also see that happening just kind of as soon as you cross, I think it's called like North of 60, but even, um, like none of it is below the 60th parallel. So it just kind of seems like once you get into a Northern province, Northern territory of Canada, the increase in prices just go through the roof for
1: basic, um, needs. Yeah, and I know here in Alberta, Fort McMurray definitely sees some of those, not to the same extent as living in the north, but um, they definitely see an increase in some of those costs. And I know I've probably sent you a couple articles, and I know you were doing some research, but one of the things, um, you know, being 30 weeks pregnant, I'm eating a lot of ice cream, and I looked up how much ice cream, like a pint of ice cream costs in uh, the North, and it's $12 for a pint of ice cream up there. That's not... Fair that's to <laughs> <a lemon. laughs>
0: yeah, well, I'm thinking like that's more expensive than my, you know, lactose-free stuff um has ever been. I don't think in my life have I paid $12 for a pint of ice
1: cream. And what else I found in this article was Peanut butter was $14, a medium container, and um, some communi- some smaller communities um, have reported that watermelons have gone for as much as $70.
0: That's insane. Well, and, and, like, I think at a certain point, like, why would you even bring it in? So, when I was looking at the reports, it's like, you can expect to pay on average, like, across all products two to three times as much as you would pay in southern Canada at any point. Um and yeah, a lot of it has to do with shipping and keeping the the produce and the the goods, you know, cold and um or or just, you know, like not rotten by the time they get there. Um, but then if you know that they're gonna have a shorter shelf life, it's harder to get them out there. Like if you're going to price a watermelon at seventy dollars, do you think anyone buys it? Like how much of this stuff just gets thrown out also
1: yeah, that's a great question. I know when we were travelling to Iceland, obviously not the same, but similar in that everything kind of has to be shipped in from a long distance. I remember in the grocery stores like mango, like a small mango was like nine dollars, and I just again, from like that perspective, like who is paying? That like it's not, I'm not talking like a big, beautiful mango. I'm talking like it was smaller than my fist for sure,
0: well, and okay, so this got me thinking about like food distribution and kind of how this whole thing works, so I'll pay like seventy one cents a pound for a banana for bananas, right um but I'll pay and, and those are not from Canada, obviously, no one here is growing bananas they are from somewhere closer to the equator, right? Apples. You can get apples from BC and you're going to pay over a buck a pound. So like, I'm confused. Like, is this a labor thing as well? Like, are we just like super, um, you know, underpricing labor in certain areas, countries and what have you? And then, I don't know if it's just like there's like sort of like this extra jump to get a little bit farther north where it's like, okay, now it's no longer profitable. So for me to make like the same profit on the sale of a mango, I now have to increase it by like two or three times the price, which to me doesn't really make sense even from a business perspective. Like if I was going into the grocery business and was like, okay, I can make a 20% profit in southern Canada. But I would have to overprice it to the point of like throwing out food in northern Canada. Maybe I just like take the hit on my store in northern Canada and only make a 5% profit. And then continue to make the 20% in southern Canada. Do you get my meaning?
1: Yeah, like I'm not sure I buy it that it costs that much to ship a watermelon up there. It feels like, like price gouging going on against... In most cases, probably indigenous communities.
0: Yeah. And so, like, I looked at a couple of studies, and I'm going to link them there. And it says, oh, you know, profit is not um, not a factor. So I'm guessing that is to say, like, it is not as profitable to have a shop in anywhere in in northern Canada. But that being said, if you're still having the expectation of having the same margin... That does lead to gouging. Like, it's still there. Um, The other thing it had me thinking about... Do you remember those uh, pictures that came out at the start of the pandemic? Of, like, those big, like... They were, like, dumps. Like, somebody dug a huge hole in the ground and just dumped a bunch of potatoes in there because the restaurants weren't buying the potatoes. So rather than let the price of potatoes fall, um, so to kind of support the price of potatoes, they just dumped the excess.
1: That's so wasteful.
0: Yeah. And it was done with milk. It was done with potatoes. It was done with a ton of different crops that um, are pretty popular from restaurants and um large larger purchasers that being said like we know that there's a ton of waste from grocery stores we know that there's a ton of waste from restaurants and we know that there's milk dumping happening happening all the time to support the price of milk so like how is this translating to the north like i just don't understand (laughs) help me understand janine what do you think is going on here
1: you know, I don't know a ton about food dumping. I, I obviously know what happens. But what it seems like to me is that, yeah, they there are businesses that are wanting to make as much money as they possibly can. And whether that means they're dumping food so that they can maintain the prices or... If they're just gouging communities that don't have any other means of getting food there, because realistically, when you look at it, if you live in a small, desolate community up north, a plane is coming like once a week.
0: Yeah, and some folks only have access to the roads in the summer. Um, And there are, you know, more affluent people there or like higher middle income or Just people who can afford, you know, to travel down south two or three times a year and they go with coolers and are able to somehow, and this is, this is what really I don't understand how a business couldn't do this then. If it's cheaper for an individual family to book a flight down to Ontario, or if you're in the Yukon, book a flight down to BC, um, go to a a national chain retailer, fill up a bunch of coolers and then ship them back to your province of origin somewhere in in northern Canada. How is it cheaper for one individual family to do that two or three times a year to feed themselves than it is for a business to truck in food? Like, isn't it supposed to be cheaper for the business to truck in food? Wouldn't they be able to negotiate the shipping costs? Like, something does not track here.
1: Yeah, I think, like, ultimately what it comes down to is there's there's going to need to be some policy put in place. Um, just reading through some of these articles about food insecurity up in the north, um, you know, there's some families that are four people or maybe five, and they're spending, you know, $400 a week on groceries. So, I mean, obviously depends on the age of your kids, but that seems – and that's, like, a small budget So, um, I think like there's probably people spending a lot more on food and what kind of even threw me further was the fact that like baby formula is costing some families like $52 a week. And as like a future mom, I'm just like, how are we doing that to women and families that are lower income or not even lower income, just families that, um, live in more, I guess, desolate or, um, you know, far away or removed communities. Like, why are we not capping some of these goods? And are we gouging on like nutritious foods and then saying, well, a box of Captain Crunch is still the same price? That's, you know, what I'm also wondering is, you know, what portion of like junk food is getting subsidized in a way by these companies so that people will just buy more of it.
0: Yeah, and I was about the baby formula. I was listening to that CBC show, The Cost of Living, which I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be promoting them here, but they are, it's a really great show um, and gives little like tidbits of information on kind of the same thing that we talk about. They talked about baby formula and they talked about it basically being a monopoly. There are not many producers for it, and um, also like it never goes on sale because it's something that you cannot really negotiate so there's very little elasticity in the price right
1: i remember this from econ 101 or whatever and the example that was used there was obviously or not obviously it was insulin so baby formula would kind of be very very similar in, in that case right like no matter what the price mm-hmm. is you're still going to pay for it
0: Exactly. And I'm wondering how much of this is happening to, you know, our northern neighbors, where folks are going in there and saying, I know that's like, we'll never discount the price of apples. We will never discount the price of watermelon. We'll never discount the price of things that are healthy, are really non-negotiable because they're food, and don't have a high... um or a long shelf stable life and, um, you know, do have to be shipped in. So we can discount the Captain Crunch because you might get somebody who, um, is going to pick it up on an impulse buy. But if you're talking about something like your whole wheat breads and your apples and your cucumbers and the things that are healthy and that you actually need to live, I don't would like to know how often those items go on sale in the north
1: you know i'm further reading this and the same article and they're seeing obviously a high percentage of food insecurity in um many of these northern communities much much higher than the average in canada but then they're also seeing things like nutritional rickets or tooth decay right and if we think about then taking that one step further, while we have universal healthcare, it definitely doesn't cover the dentist.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And if you're already going to be paying like two or three times as much on your groceries, and then we'll get into the other things that are more expensive up there too, you don't have a lot left over to spend at the dentist. And... Um, Does
1: anyone have anything left over to spend at the dentist? Because I'm just going to say, every time I go there, it's like at least $500.
0: I love my dentist. Great, great human. Very expensive. And um, for my particular plan, it's not direct build. So it's fine because I get charged and then I basically get 80% of it back in a couple of days. But if I didn't have that room on my credit card, it could be a lot more painful if I lose my insurance we're just not going to go, obviously. We can't afford it. When you move to um, a work-based insurance model, you lose a lot of people because they have to wait until, I don't know, they have a tooth abscess. Or if you like look to our Southern neighbors, um, you've got people who will just not be able to take care of themselves in, in any sort of um, kind of preventative health, health um Sorry, they won't be able to do any sort of preventative health to take care of themselves and will end up, you know, having very high cost surgeries that here we can prevent through. um, It's not great, but it's at least a little bit better in that it's not fully two tier yet. Anyway,
1: I think you were saying before we kind of hit the record button, there is a lack of I'm sure dentists up in the north, but physicians Mm -hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, it's like something like 25% of communities, I I believe it was in none of it, don't have access to a physician in their area, and they also don't have access to a bank. So we're not we're not really providing the same level of service that we would provide in the south. And like I've got to say that speaks a lot to profit incentives to me, you know, like if we are trying to to leave it up to individuals or businesses to move up there and provide these services when they know they're not gonna make the same profit margin, they're not gonna go, so we have to do something to like provide that incentive if we truly believe that everyone has a right to health care, which i do
1: or food
0: and food exactly right? So I think this is something that needs to be worked on. And I mean, there are food subsidies now, but they're going to the retailers. And I don't love it.
1: I don't like that because I feel like, how do we mandate that they're passing all of that on to the consumer?
0: Exactly. And like, I remember uh, thinking about this when it came to that what was it called? The Like the recreation subsidy that we used to have here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And dance was still very expensive for children. You know, it didn't really do anything. It was almost like the prices were raised to kind of account for that. So I don't think that it helped that many more people get into sports or any, like, kids get into um.
1: Well, the credit was a joke. Like yeah. you can claim up to a thousand dollars, which anyone yeah. who's in like a um a very competitive sport knows you pay more than a thousand dollars, but then you only got fifteen percent of that as a credit. And I was gonna say like I'm not 100% sure on all the food subsidies, but I know there's like that Northern Residence tax credit or whatever on the tax returns. But again, that's, again, tax, or t- tax credits only help people who pay taxes, which means you have to be of a certain income bracket.
0: Yeah, and you have to pay that all out of pocket first. So if you don't have the money in the first place, that 15% isn't really going to make a difference to you if you can never claim it. Exactly like if you don't if you don't have the ability to cut a check up front or you don't have room on your credit card it's not going to happen and in this case you're going to starve it's not that you're not going to play soccer at 4 years old you're literally going to starve
1: yeah and i mean i'm sure there's been studies on this but like what does food insecurity do to children psychologically yeah and well,
0: one of the things I saw is that in um Northern Canada, the life expectancy is ten years lower than us folks here in the South. There's a lot going on um I didn't look up the suicide rates but i I have a feeling there's as we've seen in certain pockets of Canada, there are higher suicide rates. Those also happen to be the places where you don't have access to doctors. You don't have access to food. You don't have access to the same things that are our basic needs to survive as people. And that does something to you psychologically. It for
1: sure does. Well, and who are we to say, you know, again, I I always come back to this, like, who are we to say one group of people... Or one person is more valuable than another, right? Like that's really Mm -hmm. what it comes down to. If we're going to say we don't believe in making it so that preschoolers or kindergarten kids are starving when they get to school so we're going to provide, you know, affordable, healthy eating for all of those kids, it can't just be only for the white kids that live in, you know, Edmonton and Calgary or whatever.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and coming up to the issue of race as well, like there's a lot of indigenous folks that live up there. And the thing is, before colonization um, and everything like that, these folks were doing just fine. Like I just, I have to be very clear about this. This is a problem that is recent and has been created by modern society.
1: So why do you you think... That is in terms of, um, I guess I'm going more towards the fact that I'm pretty sure, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of those northern communities aren't great for growing. No,
0: fair, for sure. But when we think about things like, and I know it's it's like a big deal with like the steel hunt and stuff like that, and I am a recovering vegan, so like I, I get it, they're cute. Um, That said, they're a traditional source of food. Um, We've seen a depletion in traditional food sources when it comes to traditional hunting in indigenous communities. Um, Some of it has to do with climate change. Some of it has to do with... um, There were methods of forced starvation here when uh, the original Europeans were colonizing everything. And... (laughs) white folks hunted stuff too, um, hunted some of these animals, you know, to the brink of extinction. So if you go into a new territory, and I kind of explained it to my kid like this, when they asked, um, about New Brunswick and like, was it new? And I was, well, it's new to somebody. Um, it's kind of like you go over to somebody's house, like raid their fridge and then just like F off basically and um ensure that they like don't get hired they don't have another means of getting money to then restock their fridge it's, it's basically the same thing it's a dick move like yeah it's been hundreds some odd years hundreds of years um but it gets a super dick move um a lot of the the traditional agriculture and the the traditional hunting sources like they're just gone basically
1: yeah that's definitely a big problem and is frustrating and it kind of forces them to follow i guess like white people's way of life in another sense
0: yeah and then we're kind of restricting their access to that too we're like oh well if you want to eat the standard american diet like you have to pay three times more than somebody living in southern Canada, that's also not great from, like, a racialized colonial perspective. As a settler person, this is just what I'm seeing. I have, like, no actual knowledge of this firsthand or, um, I mean, honestly, even secondhand, but from what I've read in some of these reports and stuff that I was going through, that's, that's the sense I got, I mean, I haven't lived it, but I was like, whew,
1: that does not look good. Well, and I'm sure the income is does not match what these people are having to pay. Like, I'm sure they're not being paid three times as much as, as we are here in southern Canada. And I think that that, you know, kind of ties in nicely to our conversations these past few weeks about universal basic income and how it needs to be. Based on location,
0: yeah. Well, and here's the thing, though, too. So, I looked up the median incomes, and across uh, the Yukon, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut, you actually do see like there's an increase somewhere between. So, the median income for Canada is like sixty-one thousand for a household in twenty eighteen. Across like northern Canada, it's somewhere between seventy-four thousand and like a hundred thousand. So, there is a higher median income. That's not to say there aren't poor people. There's there's poor people everywhere that don't need to spend $70 for a watermelon, okay? Also, um, the cost of everything else has increased too. So even though you might have a higher income, if you're spending three times more, and this is even on the highest end, it's only an increase of two times the average Canadian income, right? But if you're spending three times more on literally everything, you're still in the hole
1: well, and yeah, so okay it's it's fifteen to twenty five thousand or thirty thousand dollars more a year. Mm-hmm. that's not three times more, right
0: no, it's not it doesn't match the expenses, right so for other things that are Way more expensive up north than they are in southern Canada. We also see internet access. So, do you know offhand? Yeah. Do you know offhand how much you pay for internet?
1: I think we pay $65 a
0: month. Okay. I have no idea what we pay, to be totally honest with you. It's more than $60. We're supposed to have really great access, and like, I'm still not happy. Like I feel like we pay a lot. We're supposed to have top tier uploads, downloads, all the things, and like it's
1: spotty as hell. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think we're supposed to have pretty good internet, and I find if as if I'm not plugged in, sitting beside the router, then yeah, Say la be
0: So that's here in a major city in southern Canada. I looked it up, and like across Canada, folks are paying like four. Internet access, Wi-Fi, all the things. I assume like a cable package based on the year I looked up. Like 190 bucks on average. Up north, the average goes up to 220. So you can expect to pay, let's say, 15 to 20% more for access. But what does that access actually look like? There's really no fiber optics up there. There was a recent plan to get fiber optic cable underwater from greenland i think to none of it and it's gonna cost like it just keeps getting more expensive it's like 220 million to do this thing now so a lot of it's like reliant on satellites there's not a hell of a lot of towers in terms of like cell phone access and stuff like that so i can't imagine their service is great And anecdotally, I haven't heard anything. Have you looked into this internet, cell phone data stuff
1: at all? You know, I haven't. But just from, like, the drive between Calgary and, like, Kelowna, I can tell you that the service is shit for more than 50% of it. And sometimes I lose service when I drive from Edmonton to Calgary. So I can't imagine it's better than what we have here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And, um, yeah, and then you're paying more for it. So you can do less and you pay more. And now we're getting closer and closer to the point, if we haven't already passed it, where access to a proper internet connection is, again, kind of a basic human right. It's a need. It is,
1: actually. I believe, I think the UN put access to internet as a human right on the like the list of the things I don't know what it's called but
0: yeah and that was um that's come up a lot in indigenous issues we're not doing great i don't think that what white canada thinks canada is is actually what canada is and like yeah there are some hard truths that i think people need to acclimatize themselves to i guess but anyway i digress um the internet's shitty and it costs more. So you might make more, but you have less access, you have less contact with the rest of Canada, and you pay 15 to 20% more. If you have an increased income there, it's still not going to cover it.
1: I'm sure that goes for utilities. We talked about groceries, mm-hmm. obviously, internet. I would assume rent. It's like all mm-hmm. of the things you need clothing, right? Are gonna be just that much more expensive and the income doesn't match. Mm -mm.
0: And I just kept thinking every time I read this stuff, like how often, you know, I switch service providers because I'm upset about the level of service that I'm getting for the amount that I'm paying. I'm that person. I try not to be upset with the customer service person. It's not their fault, obviously. I just like a good deal. If I moved up north, I mean, I would just be the worst human, I think, for a little while. I'd be so angry. If I wanted watermelon and it's $70.
1: Well, you just have no other options at that point, right?
0: No. Like, I. I You'd like searching for signal, the amount of times, like, I want to throw out my modem here. Um, I couldn't imagine if I was paying 20% more than what I am I have now for lower service. Well, and if we think about it too, in
1: terms of the global pandemic that we're in, we're seeing more jobs go remote and go online. Mm-hmm. How does that impact those communities who have terrible internet connections or have no internet connections or whatever the situation is? I mean, we've all seen it here in major cities where you can kind of tell at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was working from home that everyone's Home internet was just really, really terrible because they were used to having all of their internet connections um, being leveraged in office space. So, mm-hmm. you know, what does that look like for someone living and now trying to work remotely in the north?
0: Yeah, and anecdotally, I've heard that the major, let's say, like mining companies, like the the big industries up north, the company itself. Has fantastic internet access. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's like you may not use your employer's internet access to stream Netflix. Okay, but that's like a thing
1: I like do and need to.
0: <laughs> I feel like everyone here does. Like everybody has watched, uh, you know, a video at work on your coffee break oh, using totally. the company internet. YouTube, like it has or happened, whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't even be able to, like, send your coworker. I mean, I guess if you work for one of, like, the bigger industries, you could while at work. Like, you could send some funny gifts or videos or whatever. But, like, as soon as you're off the clock, you're like, no more. And also your boss told
1: you not to. Like, it's just weird. Well, and then does that kind of go into, like, I mean, we all, you know, check our banking at work or whatever. Like, what things are they not allowed to use their employer's internet for?
0: Yeah. And how does that work, too, if, like, Bunch of folks don't have a local bank, so you have to like drive to a branch, and then you also don't have access to proper online banking. Yeah, I feel like I kind of need to go up there and like live for a bit to like truly understand the frustration because, but thinking about it now, I'm very frustrated.
1: Well, I'm thinking through, you know, it's not just one thing, it's like, how does that one thing affect? All of these other things that we didn't even think about. Like, I didn't expect to talk about internet or, you know, COVID in relation to this. But, you know, it all ties in.
0: hmm Yeah, I mean, your life isn't based around one aspect of anything, right? Your access to food or healthcare or internet, um, the effects that your employment have had on COVID. Like, you're not... You can't compartmentalize your body, you know? And I don't even think people can really compartmentalize their lives or their minds as much as some
1: folks say you can. It's all going to bleed into each other. If you have a bad mental state or mental health um, because you can't put food on the table for your family, you're not going to show up to work to do and be your best self, right? Like, you just No, can't. definitely not.
0: No, you, you for sure can't. And I don't think that should be an expectation of anyone either.
1: Oh, agreed. But I'm sure it is.
0: Okay. Here's another thing that, like, blew my southern Canada mind. Like, absolutely. Um, You pay property taxes. I pay property taxes. How often do you look on your property tax bill and figure out how much, like, water costs you? Or, like um, waste removal, like garbage and compost and all those things. I don't?
1: hmm Uh-oh. Should I?
0: I don't think so. It comes up, like, every time there's an election. It's like, I paid $10 to have my trash removed. We should make this private. Don't make it private. That's super cheap. Definitely keep that. It's a fine service. Pay the union garbage people to come pick up your, your stuff. Um... Six bucks is nothing because there are some communities that are on trucked water. So that's like the water does not come from the pipes, drinkable to your taps. It's trucked into your community. Oh boy. And then you pay $146 a month for
1: it. Oh my God. How is that legal?
0: Okay. Okay this is another thing that i don't know cuz i know that we have um you know different government acts at the federal level to kind of prevent against this kind of stuff so i'm thinking about the health act um where you know we all pay our income taxes we give it to the the federal government they give it back to the provinces and they say everybody in canada should have equal universal access to healthcare and it should look the same it should be like the McDonald's of healthcare you should if you go to a physician in the Yukon you get the same service as a physician in medicine hat it shouldn't be different right Mm-hmm. shouldn't water be the same like if I have to pay $146 a month for water and I can't afford it I'm not gonna live long enough to see a physician
1: Yeah, water's a pretty basic need.
0: Right? Like, we don't, and then we have, like, the the education act. So then we pay our income taxes through equalization um, or TFF. This stuff comes back to us. We pay for post-secondary. There's also the education act to pay for um, primary to secondary education levels. And it, again, should kind of be the same. There'll be some regional difference, but we should have access to basic things. Why is water not included? How the hell did we miss that?
1: I don't have an answer for you because that is the first I'm hearing of it, which is terrible to say, but, like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know this.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, how many, um communities are still on boil water advisories and have been for a generation yeah could you imagine growing up and never having to not boil water to drink it
1: yeah like we live in Canada not like a third world country although I mean you see it in the US right like you always hear like Flint doesn't have clean water still and it's like mm-hmm. well we still have places in Canada where there's literally boil water advisories so yeah
0: yeah and and this is the thing, like, uh, Flint is a really good example of this being kind of self-made as well. And here, it feels very self-made. How did we get the infrastructure to deliver clean drinking water to Montreal, but not to Nunavut? Like, it's not that far away. Yeah. So what the hell? And also, like, how did we say that, like, oh, yeah, you should be able to see a doctor, but you food is not a thing. Like, what the – did we think that we were going to – I don't understand. I really can't get past it. Like, you have to eat and have water before you can go to a doctor.
1: Totally. Because, like, seeing a physician also in that, like, think about all the costs that are associated with that as opposed to just, like – What it would have cost us as a society to make sure everyone has fresh fruits and vegetables.
0: Yeah, it seems weird. It seems very, very, very strange. And I'll link it in the notes, but there are a few organizations down here in southern Canada that take food from grocery stores that are about to expire or expired or whatever and basically like rescue them and then redistribute them. Okay. The thing that gets me though is that like, somebody still has to pay for it which if no one does that they just like throw it out in the dumpster which is really weird but there's a lot of food waste like down in southern Canada which I feel if we just like distributed the food properly we wouldn't have to throw out so much here
1: yeah there's got to be like flights and vehicles going up there on a regular basis to redistribute this stuff
0: yeah well and the thing is they do there are flights there are vehicles they're just going up there for different reasons and like not bringing food or the food that they do bring is like extra pricey Jeez. yeah i don't know so now i don't know if i'm crazy but yeah, maybe. Do you want to bring it back to the point? Because now I'm just like very angry. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. I guess like in closing this episode, I feel like what this episode was was more of, you know, something or a, a conversation to bring awareness to some of this stuff. Because I think we've we saw some price gouging at the beginning of COVID. Um, around, you know, things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer, and we were all outraged about that, and it's illegal, and people were fined, and all of that, but I think sometimes we forget about our northern communities that deal with this on an everyday basis, and so when we talk about, you know, food security for all, or universal um, health care for all or universal basic income for all, it really does need to be for all and not just, you know, white metropolitan areas in Canada.
0: Yeah. And I think the next time you feel like complaining about your income tax, equalization payments, or the cost of like waste removal in your city, like, don't calm down.
1: <laughs> Look up the statistics for none of it.
0: Yeah, calm down, be grateful, pay your
1: taxes. Exactly. And that can be the pink tax rebate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Pink Tax podcast is recorded in the Treaty Seven region of Southern Alberta.
1: Our music is provided by Margot. You can find her work at noisebymargo.com. Sound editing by Peter Dobson. If you'd like to support the Pink Tax podcast, you can make a donation at Tax pinktaxpodcast and submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.